0: The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680, WPTF, and 98.5 FM. This is the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, hosted by founder Sarah Coates, a licensed clinical mental health counselor. In this podcast, Sarah and her team of therapists will dive deep into many topics on mental health care. Here's your host, Sarah Coates.
1: Hello and welcome to the Turning Your Life Around podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Coates, and I'm joined today by John Eklund.
0: Hi, Sarah. How are you?
1: Nice to see you, it's John. Nice to see you, too. Glad you're taking a few minutes of your Heck busy day. Yeah, absolutely. This is awesome. So John's a licensed clinical social worker, and tell the audience a little bit about how you got into the helping profession.
0: Well, we're going to be talking about recovery a little bit, and uh, I had an alcohol problem early on in my life, So when God met me in a really dark place, I was suicidal, drinking every day. God absolutely changed my life and turned my life around. And so I wanted to do something like that. And so when I went to college, I actually wanted to be a police officer, Mm. believe it or not. And when I got married, my wife was kind of like, yeah, I don't know that I want to live that kind of life. And so I got involved in group therapy in an internship. From there, I said, that's that's what I wanna do. And started doing social work, worked with Child Protective Services. Social work, I recommend to everybody because it's such a Swiss army knife of, you can do anything, you work in hospitals, jails, schools. I've just felt like I found my calling very early on in life and just in the helping profession and doing recovery and counseling is right up my alley.
1: That's an awesome story. I did not know that about you. So I Yeah, think-
0: it's been. Quite a journey. And
1: I will say for the listeners, they don't know what you look like, but you're a big guy. I could see you big as a, uh, a police officer for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, my wife is like, I don't want to be thinking about what you're doing out there and the danger you're putting yourself in and stuff like that.
1: Well, that's a whole segment of our treatment population is LEOs and family members of LEOs. You know, we see a lot of clients that serve in both capacities yeah, uh, and so. my heart goes out to them as their loved one is out late at oh, night yeah. it's ter- know, it's, protecting. It,
0: it's a hard profession right now to mm, be in, especially. Sure. So yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, I played football four years. It was criminal justice, criminal justice. And I actually ended with a criminal justice degree. <clears throat> and I'm telling you, so I was about to actually graduate Evangel University of Missouri. I was in this internship with the juvenile justice system in, in Missouri. I kind of got in trouble with the person who was supervising my internship. She didn't like football players or some such thing. We just did not get along very well. And so I had like a C minus or a D or something like that. And I was desperate to try to get my grade up. So I volunteered for this group process within the juvenile justice center, this uh, juvenile jail. And there were kids in there and I kind of get emotional thinking about it. <clears throat> there were kids in there that were like 15, 14, 15, 16 who had sexually abused mm. other children. And they were in there, you know, serving time. And part of their treatment was that they had to go to a group session. And there was this group therapist there. And he needed somebody to kind of help corral the kids. And nobody wanted that job. And so I volunteered for it because I'm like, man, I need to get my grade up. And so I bring these kids in. And this therapist would have these kids in this room. And he loved these kids. And these kids, they had to get in there and tell these stories of what they had done to violate these children. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the first time I'm in there, my eyes are just as big as dinner plates and my jaws on the floor. And I just watched this man love these children, love these kids right where they were. And I looked at that guy and I said, that's, that's what I want to do. That's it right there is, is meet people where they're at, meet people in their struggle. I don't know, mm-hmm. everything clicked at that at that point. So, yeah, it's it's weird how God has a way of just kind of like shifting your direction and going, no, "Oh, we're going to go this way." He draws straight with crooked lines sometimes. That's what I heard the other day.
1: I, so. li- I like that. That's powerful right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: That's my life. Straight with Crooked lines.
1: Well, that's a pretty powerful story. And I'm so glad that you found recovery for yourself so that you can help so many people. So today I thought we'd spend a few minutes talking about Recovery Alive, your programming that you've created and you oversee. So share with the audience a little bit about that.
0: So 20 years ago, a pastor, I was working uh, as a social worker in Delaware. I was working child protective services and I was starting kind of my counseling internship stuff, you know, doing my supervision out there. I was volunteering at a church and the pastor shoved this giant box into my hands and it said celebrate recovery on it. He said, hey, you do social work stuff. Why don't you run this? Uh. And I was like, oh, okay." And I was very codependent. I know you just had a boundaries <laughs> talk, so I had zero boundaries. I just said yes to everything. I had a hard time saying no, so I said oh, okay, sure. And so I took the box, and I didn't really even read what was in it. I just said okay, I'll, I'll run this thing. And I started running a group within the church to help those people. who who struggled you know and so as I got more involved in Celebrate Recovery I realized that God hadn't called me to help those people I was one of those people and really that that is the power of ministry is is first saying I'm the one who needs help I'm the one if I identify that I have a struggle it's so much more powerful and identifiable to be able to say, you know, I've been there. More of a, I always compare it to like a tour guide mm-hmm. versus a travel agent. Travel agents say, yeah, hey, you gotta go to Miami. It's it's amazing and I can set you up. You say, well, have you been there before? And they're like, no, but I hear it's really great. But a tour guide has been there. They can tell you everywhere that you wanna go, the places to avoid. And so with recovery and self recovery, I really realized that my job was to be a tour guide and to say, I've been here before And this is how you navigate it. And so I got involved in Celebrate Recovery, been a state rep, rose to a regional director and was a national director up until last year. Mm. And uh, Celebrate Recovery really connected me to the fact, if it's okay to say, I think that the words of Jesus, when he talks about remove the splinter from this guy's eye, he says, the first thing you gotta do before you do anything to help anybody else is to remove the log from your own eye. And that's what recovery gave me is that I've gotta make sure that I'm in a good place, that my recovery is strong, that I'm healthy. Recovery gave me this process of going, I've got to stay in a place of self-evaluation. I've got to be in a place of health before I can help anybody else. And so I'm so grateful for Celebrate Recovery and for that process of, of learning to kind of like run a program as a participant. And so some things happened this past September where Celebrate Recovery was struggling a little bit during the 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 COVID pandemic to kind of translate into an online platform. Mm. And so the things that we wanted to do as a ministry, I run a, a, I had been running a recovery program, a celebrity recovery program for five years in Selma at Temple. and we decided that we needed to move past Celebrate Recovery, which, you know, we love Celebrate Recovery and don't have any issues with them, so that we could just reach a broader audience. Mm -hmm. And so I had no intention of reinventing the wheel. Celebrate Recovery does a great job, but we felt like there was a lot of different things that we could do that Celebrate Recovery was a little limited on. And so last September, we launched into this process where I'm writing curriculum and just working on trying to make sure that our online... Let me just say it this way. Before the the pandemic, we were averaging uh, about 450 people every single Friday night were coming to our recovery program at Temple for recovery. And that's adults, children, and teens. We have a full children's program and a full teen program. We call that pre-covery. Sarah, because how great would it have been if you and I would have had some of that stuff figured out as a kid, you know? No
1: kidding, especially in your teenage years. Right. Mm. And so
0: we have So when we still have those programs, but when COVID hit, everybody had to like stop meeting in these large groups, right? And so we were like, we've got to figure out this online platform. And in doing that, I began to write a a new curriculum around the 12 steps. I just, I have to say the 12 steps are absolutely (laughs) genius, brilliant. Whether you're secular or Christian, the 12 steps that Bill W. put together a long time ago, they have been effective for 85 years, have been powerful changing lives for a very, very long time. And uh, Celebrate Recovery is based on that. Recovery lives based on those 12 steps. There's a lot of different programs out there mm. based on those 12 steps. And w- what we know about them is that they just work. Those mm. first three steps, I'm powerless and my life's unmanageable. How true is that during the pandemic? Yeah. That there is a power greater than myself who can restore me to sanity. And I'm going to make a decision to turn my life and will over to God. And people are like, well, that, that, does the 12 steps actually say that? You know, when you go to AA meeting and I, I've got the, I brought my, big book with me yeah. Um, just in case we want to reference that. It is truly what change is all about is when we say, I cannot do this, but I need some help in doing it. And that's, I think what 180 is all about too, is just going like, sometimes you got to ask for help, yeah. right? So we started this program, Recovery Alive, kind of building the car as we're driving it right now. We've had some return numbers, trying to be as safe as we possibly can. Our numbers are starting to get back up there. We're trying to do the social distancing and doing masks and all that kind of stuff. And we're back up to a little over 300 people still being as careful as we possibly can. We have a young and alive teen program that's averaging between 40 and 60 kids every single Friday night. Our kids program, birth to fifth grade, we call it Adventures Alive, and that is the coolest program ever. We're writing that one too. All the kids get a little passport, and every month is one of the steps, and they visit another country through this curriculum. I think they're in Israel, actually. They're in Israel during Easter just cool stuff. And everybody gets a passport for that step in that part of the world that they go to every month. And the kids, man, they're dragging their parents to the program. So it's pretty awesome. But our, our our tagline is that we're raising hope from the dead because we think the most dangerous thing in the whole world is a loss of hope. There's nothing more dangerous in this world than when somebody loses hope. And we've seen that, especially during the pandemic, people who feel like there's nothing to live for anymore they're isolating themselves suicide is on a it's the numbers are just insane the um, opioid epidemic something i'm very close to seeing overdoses a lot of the parents of folks who have passed away through overdose come to our group there's a group called Joko angels yeah. of moms you should ha- definitely have on i don't know if you've heard of I've,
1: them. I've attended some of those meetings to represent <sighs> so powerful man yeah, so those guys come stuff.
0: out yeah they share their stories with us and they're part of our our ministry when we do our we do an annual 5k they're a big part of that and you know they have their, their this huge banner of all these kids yeah. um you look at those faces, you just cannot believe some of these kids were high school quarterbacks and
1: neighbors you know. next door. I yeah. mean, it's just,
0: you know, I mean, I know COVID is horrifying, but we're talking 150, 160 a day of people every day who are fatally overdosing on opioids. That's a pandemic Well, they call it yeah. the pandemic within the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're we're doing everything we can to make sure people know that. There's no situation that God cannot change, that change is possible. I think if just people believe that they can change, that life is not a room with no windows and no doors, that there's always a choice, there's always a way out, is huge. So just coming to a, a Friday night recovery program is very intimidating to people. I think when they hear the word recovery, it's they think drugs and alcohol. It's any struggle that you may have. I know you're experiencing this. Pe- people who never had anxiety before yeah, are all of a sudden like, You know almost in a place where they can't leave their home they're agoraphobic all of a sudden they go from zero anxiety to agoraphobia you know we're just trying to get people to a place where if they can't come out that we do offer it online and we have online groups as well so a typical friday night six o'clock every friday night we have a dinner and we just fellowship and hang out Seven o'clock, we start our, our large group session. There's either, we have music, then there's either a teaching or a testimony. And then we break up into shared groups. We call those people groups. And those groups are gender specific and issue specific. So we have, for example, we have a women's depression anxiety group. And those groups, uh, we have a men's chemical dependency group, a men's mm-hmm. uh, purity group, uh, women's A to Z, we call it A to Z, mm-hmm. any issues from A to Z. If you're like, "I'm not sure I fit any of these, well, we just go into the A to Z group. right? And those groups are we, we actually call them boundaries. they they're they're made safe by our leaders, running um, people through these boundaries and making sure that uh, anonymity and confidentiality are maintained. and uh, And we have these things called process groups that happen all throughout the week where people work through these twelve steps know in, in a very uh more intentional way they're like um if you have a church and you think like you have church and then you have small groups that's what our our process groups are if we talk about the three p's of recovery we believe that you need safe people mm. that you need a process that makes sense that you can transition from step to step but most importantly you need a power greater than yourself and uh, the bible says god's power is perfected in our weakness mm. when we're weak we're strong and so the The very basic tenets of this program is is just ask for help. If you're struggling, ask for help, which is sometimes the hardest thing to do.
1: So. Yeah. So now what do you say to people who maybe they don't identify with a Christian faith belief system, mm-hmm. but they're resonating with what you're saying yeah. about, I mean, I get it. There's a higher power. yeah. yeah. Um, and maybe I want to come to your recovery sure. program. So what would you say to those people?
0: You can belong before you believe. That's a big part of what we say is like, you, you're you going to hear about God. We're kind of unapologetic about it, but you absolutely can belong before you believe. And, you know, what I loved what Bill W. said, and some Christians who are a little legalistic push back against this. Bill said, you know, in his own transition from atheism to believing in a higher power is the person that he worked with that you know, know if you know his story, but, but he was in a a Manhattan hospital. I think he had tried three or four different times to get sober. And he was an absolute wreck of a man. And he was in this Manhattan hospital because it was like the latest trend of how to get people sober. And it just wasn't working for him. Mm -hmm. But he had a guy that kept visiting him, a really good friend. Isn't it great to have a good friend who loves you and cares about you enough to tell you the (laughs) truth, you know? And so this guy had been going to something called the Oxford group that was a Bible study. And he, so he started talking to Bill about like, You know, God and like, hey, man, you know, really it starts with you just coming out of denial and saying you need help, you know. And Bill's like, man, I don't believe in that God stuff, you know, don't push that stuff down my throat. And the guy was just saying, man, maybe it's just, maybe you should, what if you just started to extend your heart and your mind to this idea of a God? as you understand him, you know? Just a God of your own understanding right now. Just like, just open yourself up to the possibility there might be something bigger than yourself out there. And that was enough for Bill. That's how Mm -hmm. it started with him. Maybe you start off and you say, man, my higher power needs to be in my group right now. Just believing like, I can't do this. Maybe my group can help me or a sponsor or somebody who's an accountability partner. Really, it's just reaching outside of yourself because what you are doing right now isn't working otherwise your life would be different. So it's like all of us get to a place, I think, where we realize that control is an illusion. Mm. Hasn't that happened with the pandemic?
1: Absolutely. I think that's why so many people are suffering because they thought they had control of their life and situation and now they're realizing, oh, maybe that was false. (laughs) Exactly.
0: You know, in in the curriculum, I talk about like, if you go to a crosswalk, sometimes they have the buttons that say, if you push the button, it'll change the light. I think about 80 to 90% of those buttons aren't attached to anything anymore, but they kept the buttons up there because people like to feel like they're in control. That's so they right. just sit there and push the button. Even if you almost know like it doesn't work, <laughs> it just <laughs> makes you feel good to push the button. Same thing with the elevators. With the closed door, because of some of the disability acts that are out there now, those buttons aren't attached to anything that say closed doors. Right. But we sit there and push them because you just want to feel like you have some control. Mm. And that's life. A lot of the things that we try to do whether it's addiction, it can be just being a workaholic. A lot of the things that we struggle with, I think, are us trying to take control of things that we don't have any kind of control over. And so, yeah, the pandemic proved that the healthy of us, the most healthy of of people are still getting sick. The people who built up Fortunes, The pandemic did a number on that, made all of us a little bit nervous. It it is something that is a truism, is that control is an illusion. But if we surrender control, we can find out that that there is help out there. And I'm a guy who doesn't like to ask for help. I think a lot of us don't like asking for help. But when you do, something opens up, not just like, Yeah, I got some help, but something happens with us that we call humility. Mm. And so what we say, the first two steps, reality is, is that control is an illusion. Weakness is a reality, but humility is a choice. Weakness is a reality. We're all in a position of weakness, whether we like it or not. You know, life happens to everybody, but the humility to go, okay, I I admit that is the choice that unlocks help and hope and, and true change.
1: Yeah. 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 Wow. I like that. That's a good acknowledgement right there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've
0: had to do that. And that's how, that's, like I said, 21, 22 years old, that's what people talk about in recovery, hitting mm-hmm. bottom. I hit bottom. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. My wife struggled with a an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, you should have her on here. She she yeah. actually wrote a book a, about it. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Uh, it's called Overthrow, where she talks about her eating disorder. And she actually went to rehab out in Arizona to uh, Bermuda Ranch and she talks about her journey and stuff like, you know. But in that, I I realized I went from a struggle with alcohol to realizing that codependency was really at the root of yeah. my entire struggle. And I, so my my issue mainly, and still is, like when we uh, introduce ourselves in recovery, you know, I'll say my name is John, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, and I struggle with codependency. We, we do it in that order because... We don't want to say, you know, my identity isn't my addiction, you know, my identity is the fact that I'm a child of God, but I do struggle. So I still struggle with people pleasing Mm. uh, approval and all that kind of stuff. And with my wife, it was a lot of struggle with enabling and those kinds of things. So. I think a really good topic, you and I have talked about it, a good topic at some point to even expand upon is that codependency. I'd say probably 40% of the people who come to our recovery program are struggling with some form of codependency. Yeah. And I almost think everybody struggles with a little bit of, right. we all want everybody to like us, Yeah. you know, yeah. and we'll do what we got to do to make sure everybody's happy with us and that we're performing good.
1: Well, our society pushes that. Performance gives you worth. Yes. You're only valuable if you're achieving X, Y, Z. Success is this much money in your pocket. You yeah, know. Yeah. And it's so society drives, I think, a lot of that identity issue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so in our curriculum, we talk about worth wounds. And worth wounds are when, you know, early on in our life when when you're a kid, I was looking at a family rules worksheet yeah. that I've been giving a client here recently about like there are certain family rules that are unwritten that you live by when you're a kid. And there's these little asterisks at the top says, remember, when you look back at your family rules, remember what children are like. They're so innocent. Yeah. They believe that they're even in a place. I remember it said something like when you are in conflict, they have to believe that you're not angry with them because mm. all conflict looks pretty frustrating but if over time you get to a place where you believe that my worth comes from pleasing my parents or my worth comes from making sure that my grades are where they need to be or athletics or whatever and you don't meet those expectations it's like boy that's is that really what we throw the word trauma out there a lot but if that's the way you learned growing up for 15 16 17 years of education that my performance is what makes me valuable. What, how does that translate into adulthood, right? Yeah. And so we, we talk about those worth, there's all kinds of, if there's abuse that happens in people's life mm-hmm. or whatever, those have big implications to your value and your worth. And I almost think, I don't know about you, when I do therapy, I almost think that everything starts with challenging what is it that makes you valuable what is it that gives you worth like one of the first questions i try to ask clients after yeah. we clear any crisis that's going on is what makes you valuable what makes you have worth and um i feel like the answer to that when you get honest about it is probably where your wounds are yeah, yeah.
1: Mm, yeah. that is so true you can dial in right there
0: right right and because yeah yeah, because mm-hmm. in those places, people are chasing, or they feel like they can never have worth, so they're
1: mm-hmm.
0: going to escape the way they feel. Through.
1: Which, hence, leads to multiple types of addiction, Correct. not even chemical. Oh, yeah. It's food addiction, it exercise addiction, oh, you know, yeah. all kinds of compulsive sexual behaviors I mean Mm -hmm. people are reaching to fill those voids that you're you're speaking about to
0: escape Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: why do you want to escape why is it that you want to escape usually in my mind it's not an external thing it's something internal it's Mm. that you're just I don't want to feel this you know there's a guy named Blaise Pascal who talked about like the happiest person can sit alone in a room with themselves for hours at a time you know and it's like (laughs) that that's you know today it's just we're filled with distractions we distract ourselves we're trying to calm usually the internals more than right. the externals, right? So recovery, if people are listening, they think, man, the first thing I think about in recovery is drugs and alcohol. Our program is anything. If you're mm-hmm. struggling with a relationship, we've seen marriages restored. We had a, a teenager. Uh, and of course, when they share their, their stories, we, we make sure they sign releases and all that yeah. kind of some of their parents do and all that. But he got up there and, and just basically talked about, he's 16 years old and how um, he was suicidal and... Uh, uh, smoking a lot of marijuana and you talk about being like six months clean from smoking weed. And I mean, it's just like, I mean, you can't help but get excited about some yeah. of the stuff that that's going on. Our, our recovery program is for any kind of issue that, that folks are having.
1: Yeah. yeah. So the listeners can find your program. Is there a website? Yep. Where, where can they go?
0: So one of the best things you can do is go to uh, templerepresents.com templerepresents.com That is our church website. Uh, you can go to recoveryalive.com, and it gives you some basics. We're still building it. So mm-hmm. thank you for everybody's patience. If anybody goes on there, it's like, <laughs> oh, what the heck is this? Uh, we're still a work in progress.
1: Yeah, like uh, you said, building the car as you're driving exactly. it.
0: Exactly. Our curriculum is, is – I just finished – 12 step curriculum I'm kind of at a place where I'm looking to to you know do the the copy editing and mm-hmm. publishing and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But one of the things I love about AA is that they always it was always a free program. Yeah. And so I want to always be able to offer that stuff uh, any of our our curriculum really for free and so when we do get it published out there I'm going to have a free ebook uh, oh, available yeah. just cuz I feel like cost should not be a reason. Yeah. to prohibit healing and, and help. So, yeah.
1: So for the listeners that don't live in Johnston County, yeah. which is where Temple is located yeah. in Selma, North Carolina, how can they access your programming online?
0: Same thing. Go to templerepresents.com, okay. both on YouTube and uh, on Facebook and our, our website. If you just search Temple Represents on any of those sites that you, you know, Facebook, we get thousands of hits. We've got people watching from Florida to actually we got a guy in Australia that's yeah. been tuning in. It's, it's pretty neat. One thing that we're trying to do that I think is super cool. Uh, we have, a, we just got this guy on board who's going to be our online director. Hmm. He's down in Florida. He participates in our leadership at this point in time. And he is, we've been working on this concept, uh, having home groups. Yeah. And so what they do is he opens his home up and he has people in his neck of the woods come into his home they watch the live stream of the music in the main session and then he just has chairs set up in a couple you know his kitchen and in a couple of rooms and they just break up and they do their their shares in those rooms as well so anyway it's pretty cool that people are being creative in the way that they can use this Mm. um, to get the help that they need which we have to be in this time you know
1: well what a bonus point for the wretched COVID pandemic is it obviously has expanded your territory yeah. and expanded your access to reach people because I can hear clearly the heart and mission of recovery alive is yeah. to just help people. Yeah. That's
0: all it is. It's yeah. just, yeah, absolutely hundred percent to help anybody who is struggling with any thing. I know that sounds like a broad net, but I promise you it works. Yeah. I don't know what the magic of the 12 steps is uh, other than it, it, these cliches that we have in recovery, it works if you work it. Mm. And uh, if, if you're willing to put in the work, it's life-changing, yeah. it is absolutely life-changing. And so, whatever somebody's out there struggling with depression, you got an anger issue, you know, you're talking about pornography, codependency, you're like, man, I never, I guess I'm a codependent. I didn't even know, yeah. that. <laughs> you know, you start talking about <laughs> approval addiction. People are Googling codependency. Yeah, what does that mean? It's, it's, that's a tricky, it's yeah. tricky when you're trying to love somebody responsibly. Every addict has a, has an enabler usually, you know? And so just trying to love somebody in a responsible way. And, and, you know, a lot of parents out there who, uh, who are seeing their kids kind of fall apart and they don't know how to, how to love them without, enabling them. Yep. Uh, we, we work a lot with those folks, uh, wives and husbands of, mm-hmm. of folks who are struggling. It's something that at the very core of recovery is this idea that if you ask for help, you will get it. I think that's what Jesus was talking about. He said, seek, and you're going to find yeah. knock and the door will be open to you like that. You got to knock. Yeah. You got to seek, but it's there. If you just ask for it, if you right. ask for it and people just Americans, especially just don't like to ask for help. Well, we that's like where
1: humility as a choice comes into yeah, play, that's right? right? Because you have to actually pause and be humble enough to ask for help. Yeah. And that's a choice. Yeah. Cuz I don't think that comes naturally for human human nature is very selfish, very oh, yeah. self-driven, very yeah. egocentric. Yeah. And to even get outside of that and ask for help, and be humble that's the opposite of our our nature
0: yeah and our upbringing you talk about worth wounds it's like you know you rub a little dirt on it kid you know quit crying (laughs) right it's incredible Mm. how damaging that culture is of i'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps you know if you think about that that's actually an impossible task when that's like one of the american ethics basically you're going to lift your body off the ground with your own arms like it's an impossibility and we emphasize that because it's it's just everybody at some point in time needs yeah. help. I know like what you've done with 180 is I've tell people just it's remarkable. But I promise you, Sarah Coates got some help along the way or, or had to ask for help or needed help. Right.
1: Right. I mean, uh, uh, who I feel like maybe Obama said this. Did, did President Obama a long time ago say nobody gets anywhere on their own? There was some, something.
0: Yeah. Um, I always think of Newton when he says, if I've seen further it's because I've st- Stood on the shoulder of giants. Right. I love that.
1: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's awesome. That's a that's a better quote. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. But it's everybody's gonna say something like that who's accomplished anything because it's like yeah. I've got to recognize, and that's part of humility too. Yeah. You know, after the fact, going like I I couldn't have got here. People are self-made. There's no self-made. No. People no. No. Out no. I,
1: I tell people often they're like, Wow, how'd you get so far? And I'm, um, well, one, my mother used to do my books because she's a bookkeeper by go. trade, right? So like in the early stages, I had family members who pitched in and helped me. I had two children while I was growing 180. My mom stepped in and helped yeah. and cared for them while I was doing some of the work stuff. And so, yeah, my husband, he painted the walls. I mean, there's always been yeah. people in my circle who helped helped me further this thing along. Yeah. And I'm sure you can say the same about it. Yeah,
0: remember. I remember thinking, so, I, I always, again, in my codependency, I thought I had to work on my weaknesses. I always was like, all right, I got to work on the things I'm weak at. And I remember reading an Andy Stanley book, and he said, man, the way that I grew, you know, he's got a huge church down in Atlanta, and he's like, the way that I grew my church and grew my ministry and just whatever great leader as he said that i used to think i had to work on my weaknesses but then i realized that what i should be doing is getting better at my strengths and delegating my weaknesses totally delegate your weaknesses (laughs) and i I remember that was just like this huge light bulb the power of delegation and going like because your weakness is someone else's strength
1: absolutely right
0: and that's how you end up growing a business too right i mean you grow a business going like man i got all these you know admins which we have the best admins on we earth do. right we do <laughs> uh, and so you know you have people who you know, run a podcast and say man you can do this i'm you know this isn't my thing but uh if you delegate your weaknesses you get stronger and Absolutely. that is what i think that's what the bible's taught when it says you know god's power is perfected in our weaknesses," like when you go i need help all of a sudden man people are like mm, let's go yeah you know Absolutely. So I think, you know, being in a place of weakness, being in a place of humility is just being in a place of saying like, and then I think this is the first step to, I don't care if it's recovery or counseling or or whatever you're doing is I need help. Mm. I need help. And I, I hope if anybody ever listens, if one person's out there and just like, if that's the only thing they hear is it's okay to ask for help.
1: That's right. It's okay to not be okay.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's, it's easy to say, but I still struggle. Oh, yeah. You know,
1: because again, that, that American culture, that, that mantra driven in our head is you have to be okay. Yeah. Like everybody should be okay. Yeah. But we're not. So, yeah. You've been listening to the Turning Your Life Around podcast, and I've been chatting with John Eklund. He is located in the Garner location of 180 Counseling. And of course, another plug for his Recovery Alive program, you can find him and his team members at templerepresents.com.
0: Perfect. Nice. Yeah, good, good plug. Yeah,
1: thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, John. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, with five triangle locations to serve you. Learn more at 1-80counseling.com. This has been an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM, a Curtis Media Group station.